we try to preempt the selling of a product before we build it, uh, just because that it's a, it's a more efficient way of doing things. And you know, when you if you fail, you haven't committed significant resources. So to know what to test, the conversation with product has to preempt the actual product development. Hello and welcome to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal hosted by Blue Drop Studio co-founder Anna Rowinska and myself, Omar Juman. This podcast has one vision, and that is to educate, inform, and inspire others who are trying to build their tech brand. Tune in and listen to us chat ideation, marketing, scaling, and everything in between with up-and-coming entrepreneurs, stakeholders, and investors in tech startups across the world. We'll be diving into the details and also hearing about the journey. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. In this episode, we're speaking with Michael, Director of Growth and Marketing at Bibview. Bibview is an edtech startup that aims to fill the gap in the e-reading and e-distribution higher education market, benefiting a range of stakeholders, students, academics, librarians, publishers and institutions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Spaceship Podcast. Uh, today, we're talking to Michael from Biblio. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Michael. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you guys uh, are up to over at Biblio. Thanks, Omar, and it's a pleasure to, to be joining and to be here. And so I'm a director of marketing and growth at Biblio, and Biblio is a B2B company operating in the higher education space. And what we do is we partner with UK and US institutions to deliver textbooks to their students. And the, the, the problem of textbooks is known to everybody. They, they are you know, very heavy, they're expensive. They are not very accessible if you have you know, different learning uh, needs. And we, we set out to solve that problem. And now we are selling the solution, not to the student, because the students shouldn't be paying for textbooks. That's our belief, but we're selling them to institutions because they're working towards the same end. We're working to the same end. So it just makes sense to partner. Yeah. Okay. Incredible. Um, so, I mean, you, you, you said you're um, head of marketing or director of marketing over at Biblio. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you got involved with Biblio in the first place and, and what did the, the company landscape look like at that point? Yeah. So um, the, the, my startup journey and career, I guess, started off back at university and I was an international student, so uh, paying really, really high fees over, over in the UK. Um, and I needed to make some way of, you know, I needed a way to make ends meet. So startups mm -hmm. was, was the way I did that. Um, I was studying for my law degree, so I very much had the objective of going and becoming a lawyer. Um, however, having done a, a vacation scheme, I realized that it wasn't my cup of tea. You, you know, it was too structured and not enough, you know, personal development, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I, I looked at, you know, the pool of companies that I so had been working with at university. Biblio was one, and it seemed really, really promising for a range of reasons I can't dive into, but um, I ended up going with Biblio. I had a good relationship with founders. Cool. So it just made a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and I joined as a growth hacker back when we didn't have any marketing, any growth, nothing whatsoever. So it was more of a test to see can can growth work in, in this company. Uh, well, two years later, it, it very much is working. So yeah, yeah. that's brilliant to hear. Um, so like, 
you've mentioned that you you joined so very much on a growth marketing um, role. What was the the other departments that Biblio had at that point? Ha. Yes, so I joined when we were, when we were pivoting from B two C sales in education to B two B sales, and mm-hmm. again, I can explain why B two C is not a great model in, in education. But for the time being, that pivot meant that we needed to set up an enterprise an enterprise sales team, you know, the traditional sort of SaaS model, and that was that was the standard in the market. You know, you have your sales team that basically handles everything, and then maybe you have a marketing team that supports that team. Mm-hmm. So we had sales. That, okay. that was one team. We had a, you know, probably quite a big development team by that point as well. So software engineers. We had a product team of one person, and we and that's it. Yeah. So sales, um, product, and you know, software engineers, cool. the dev team. And was there sort of when you jumped on then between that B2C um, into B2B shift within Biblio, um, what, what was the reason for that? What were the main driving factors behind, you know, drastically changing, um, I guess, the, the end user of the product? Um, you know, was it a, a subsequent to a funding round or was that just like an internal decision that came out of uh, lack of progress? How did that look like? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And the, the B, there is so traditionally B2C is hard because of unique economics and you know you, you have to pay a lot of money to you know get your user and then usually you can't really get that much money out of them. Mm-hmm. So the unit economics for in education are even worse, right? Because you are you 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 the product that you're selling in our case is textbooks and they are expensive even with all the discounts applied. And the unit economics for us are, you know, especially early on were way too high. So it was mm-hmm. taking us very you know, I, although B2C is something that investors love, pragmatically, it just, we didn't see it working out anytime soon. We didn't, we didn't have enough content to support students. We didn't have a good enough product to really satisfy everybody. And once you can't do that, you don't really have a good B2C offering. So the, the, this switch and the pivot to B2B came as a response to that, as well as recognition that there were, there were departments buying textbooks and they were buying physical textbooks so it was a question of you know selling them the vision of the digital textbook and Mm -hmm. it has been a challenge and the pandemic has helped um but you know over the last two years i think it's safe to say that uh, the the market has evolved from physical to digital and now that's sort of the norm Um, yeah awesome um and are you guys funded up to this point yeah, so when I joined, we had just raised a seed round, and it was a super seed round, essentially a combination of a, of multiple. It's you know when you dive into these the different funding stages and with startups, it, it's <laughs> it varies so much. Um, yeah, and there are so many rounds at this stage. Uh, let's call it a three seed that's co- comprised of multiple sort of smaller rounds with angels, predominantly angels, mm-hmm. uh, because there were no VCs willing to to back us uh, up at that stage. Yeah. Um, so this seed round was, you know, done done with a, um, I mean, it was led by OSI, uh, which is an Oxford um, innovation sort of incubator, mm-hmm. and they they were the first investor to to begin with. Uh, but it was comprised predominantly of angel network, uh, angel groups, and angels. So that was the seed round. And we did, so we had money to to do things to grow, and uh, we actually did a lot uh, after I joined. You know, we 
So we made a full pivot. We opened, we moved into the US, US being the much bigger market. Wow. Um, and then we sort of completely shifted the product to, we st st still have the primary student focused product because that is the end user, but also have a substantial product offering for institutions. So uh, the, the shift happened, um, yeah, very quickly. Okay, cool. And how's the, the development of, of your marketing team going? Is it um, like just yourself solely handling, uh, you know, talking to the product team, talking to the data team, getting those insights and actually, um, you know, I guess, implementing them into the product that you guys have? Or, um, you know, have you started hiring other people? How does that department look like? Yeah, the, the growth of growth team, growth and marketing team is a story in itself. And we do have a team now. So I, I lead that team and it's comprised of uh, three people Two, I, I try to have, you know, two people in the US, um, so a growth hacker and a creative marketer. And then the same structure in the, in, in the US, although the nature of the startup ecosystem is such that these things are constantly evolving and changing. So mm -hmm. one day I think this is the take on the most lean operation and team structure. And, you know, three months in the future, I'm like, okay, there is a completely different way we can structure this. But we do have people working in the growth and marketing team. And the, in terms of the responsibilities, because I think that answers your question of you know, do we liaise with other companies? Like how, how does the relationship of the growth team with the wider company, uh, what, what does it look like? Absolutely. And they, we do have a brand focus, uh, a lead generation focus, and then a sales enablement focus. So those are the three ways in which we conceptualize our work. Yeah. And lead generation is the growth component, whereas brand is more of the marketing positioning. How do we engage the community that we operate in and how do we you know, position ourselves as a brand that everybody should be working with? And the relationship with product team, for example, that happens usually, and this will be one of the things I you know, probably end up talking to about anyway, but we try to preempt the selling of a product before we build it. Mm -hmm. uh, just because that it's a, it's a more efficient way of doing things. And, you know, when you, if you fail, you haven't committed significant resources. So to know what to test, the conversation with product has to preempt the actual product development. As a result, the product team is, is very integral in, the, in that, you know, we, we discuss with them, we, you know, assess the market, see what people are interested in, go back to the product team, talk to them about what they well, if they see they're being a fit for Biblio in, in, in that equation. And then afterwards, once we have the approval, we start selling advertising and seeing, you know, if there is, if there is any pickup on the, on the idea. So it is a, and that relationship with the product team specifically, it is evolving. We're trying to be even more joined as we grow as a company and have more customers and get to the stage of building our existing customer relationships into bigger contracts that, can only happen by improvements or changes in the platform or how people see the platform or that web platform in the product. Um, and then product and team is one team sales is the other big team. And yeah. that is where lead generation is the thing that has evolved over the two years. So if you think back when I joined, I said uh, that we were doing the enterprise sales model where sales was driving everything. So over the two years that has shifted. So now, all the lead generation and prospecting, which is in the traditional enterprise sales model is done by sales, has been shifted to growth. So now we figure mm. out who to target, we figure out how to approach them. We qualify the lead, get them on a call with sales, and then sales closes that, you know, that, that prospect. So uh, the, the, as a result, the, the scope of growth and the role that it plays 
has shifted from a secondary supplementary capacity to being one that drives things. And yeah. that is why our, our main sort of OKR or KPI is the annual recurring revenue. It is a number of these generated. It is how much money have we made for the company? Yeah. Yeah. It's super interesting insight there, actually. Um, so what do, you know, some of the, the lead generation tactics look like that you guys employ as the growth team? And then also, you know, how does that compare um, to when sales were, were leading the show as well? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Remember, I, sales might careful. listen to this podcast. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. I am. Um, I, I think so. The, the beauty of sales is in the relationships they build. And it, it, the way to do lead generation is to respect that and leverage that as much as possible. So when you do have an existing network that you can engage, it's a question of just figuring out who to target and how to engage it efficiently. So maybe we will be qualifying the, um, the contacts. And so let's say the, there is a network of universities we could potentially speak to and a sales rep has relationships in those places. We could, the sales rep could either go on their own and just reach out to everybody and see what sticks or growth and marketing can figure out, okay, well, based on our current targets and our current growth objectives and company business goals, we, you know, these are the institutions we really want to talk to. And these are the people that we eventually want to get through to. And it's about, and at that point we jump in, we guide the sales rep to, you know, engage the right people. And then, and then, you know, the, the rest is sort of, you know, fair, not, not easy, but straightforward. And, but that is only when you have a network and as a new company, you, you may get lucky and we are lucky. We have incredible sales reps who have, you know, really, who have been in the market for a long time. We, but we are a new company. So at the end of the yeah. day, you know, the, the, even when a sales rep does reach out, it's, it, it's not necessarily sufficient. So you have to adopt a, a different lead generation strategy that is very heavily tied in with brand. And this is why growth and marketing at Biblio is not necessarily one and the same because there are different brand and lead generation are different things, but they have to be together because as a new entrant to the market, you lead, generate leads and build brand at the same time. So the tactics that we deploy, they, they vary because, because of how, I, how well, the team approaches uh, lead generation. And we, we have this, uh, I call it traction building methodology. And there are a few uh, people in, in the sector that sort of you, you know what I'm talking about. But what, the, the idea there is that you test, you, there are so many ideas that you could do to generate leads or build your brand. And do, you could either try them out one by one or at the same time and you, that's probably not going to be very effective because you're going to be stretched over a very wide range of different tactics or you could you know adopt a more structured methodology of all right i'm going to test out this these three ideas i'm going to test them on a small scale see if you know if the tests i return any positive results if they don't i move on to the next three ideas if they do then great i explore that idea in greater depth so when I talk and say ideas, I mean degenerating tactics, marketing channels. There are so many names for it, but the approach is the same. You, 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 you come up with a range of tactics. You test them one, you know, in iterations, and then hopefully you land with something good. The reason why I can't say that there is one lead, you know, tactic that we use all the time is because the what is what what will work for you know, for your for your company will depend on where you are, who you're targeting, how big you are, you know, what, what are your goals? And 
for us, we will use the same methodology, usually, you know, maybe three to four times a quarter, just because there are, we're talking to different, different geographical markets, we're talking to different sectors within those markets, within those, uh, within each sector, there are different profiles that we talk to, and each one will have a better, different tactic or lead generation approach that will work. Mm. So um that's that's the approach and it's a very long tail answer to the question and probably not very uh fulfilling uh, so <laughs> there not is, at all so no, I, am, no. I, I i will say that there are tactics that we have um like that we stand by and they're really good so email marketing it's either sort of uh, direct outreach or as part of a sequence that is really good when you know you're providing value and right getting people you know uh, at the right at the right time with the right message then content marketing um, is, is another great thing um, that can work. Um, <laughs> PR is, is incredible. And I, when I started at the company, I sort of under, undervalued it a little bit. So my relationship with PI agencies has grown. And if you get the right PR agency and you have a right strategy in place, I think you can generate incredible outcomes. Then events and the, the events have always been the, and I know that more generally in B2B events are a pretty good marketing and growth tactic for us. They have been exceptional both just because there is this community element in the industry that we operate in. So to organize events and invite people who all know each other already is much easier than it would be in other sectors. And the, 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 the conversion rates that we get with events are, crazy like 80% is wow. what we've been getting last year so events for us have been you know a gold mine of uh, for, for lead generation and now with the shift to you know virtual events although there is a oversaturation of webinars and the webinar fatigue is a real thing if you have a webinar that addresses the pain points at the moment you, you, people will come to it uh, and it, we, we have had a few webinars like that which were you know incredibly successful Wow, um, certainly not unfulfilling at all. It's 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 really important, and I think um, you've touched on some some brilliant points. And you know, just to distill that down, I think it's really approaching uh, the whole marketing and growth conundrum with that growth mindset. So you know, being prepared to fail, being prepared to test rapidly, so you yep. can very quickly find what works, and once you do, you can really start to scale that up. I think that's, I mean, that's so important for, especially for tech-based startups. Um, and if you have, Absolutely. you know, a, a large budget put aside for acquisition, then that is certainly, I think, the best way to approach it. Or else if you just, you know, you go the other way and you just say, right, we think this is going to work and we're going to put all of our budget towards it. Yeah, <laughs> there's like a 90% chance it's not, and then your budget's gone. Um, yeah. And your investors are just sort of stood there thinking what the hell so um yeah no i i totally agree and it's it's actually super interesting that you say that you know the events um have had a really good uh or you get a really good conversion rate and there's been brilliant success with events i mean that's that's wonderful to hear it's always nice um you know a lot of the the work we do is is very much digital marketing focused and digital marketing channels so um it's, it's nice to hear sort of a fresh approach, I guess, taking that tech startup um, and, and taking it to the offline mm. world and, and actually um, seeing some good results there. That's pretty, that's really interesting. Um, so I guess this, this nicely brings us on to sort of branding then. Um, so, you know, 
before we jump into, I guess, how you guys created the brand, um, could you tell us what it looked like and, and what was the state of the brand? Was it even a conversation when you first joined Biblio? Um, and, and how did you develop it into what it is today? Yeah, so we, when I joined, we, 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 we were still thinking about B2C and trying to do B2C. And it, we, I remember even as an intern working on uh, higher ed memes or something for the Instagram page. It, <laughs> it was a completely different world to how it is now. But mm. the the brand as as it was defined by the website, you know, early as as a fresh startup, your your website defines your brand is your brand in many ways. That brand was put together by one of the more creative people on the team and he, he, our head of product. So. Um, by no means the designer, or he had some design experience, but you know, it, it made it sort of worked. But and there was something on the website, and uh, very different colors, not very accessible colors, as we later realized, which sort of goes against our pitch of accessibility. Sure. Um, but you know, when I joined, actually a few months later, there was a general consensus in the company that okay, well, we need to step it up. It, it sort of worked. We we got by with what we had because people were interested in the technology and we were we were lucky to start conversations with people who were really looking for the product that we were offering who didn't really care about the brand as much as they did about the product and the solution that we had in place so we got lucky that we got there without a, without a decent brand and i stand by the idea that you know when you're starting off don't wait don't spend your money on on brand get something yeah. out there and then you can refine it further down the line because even if you waste spend a lot of time, um, you know, doing it at the start, it will probably change, you know, a year, two years down the line. So, you know, better to do it then. And that's what probably what we did as well. I, I would I would say so. We've got by, and then you know, two months into my when I started at at Beverly, we commissioned a, a design company to sort of revamp our brand, and it was a. It was an interesting exercise of, well, how do we see ourselves more than it was, or how, how do we want people to see us more than it was about, well, how do they see us right now? And what, what do they feel about Biblio? And what would the prospects want to get out of Biblio? And at, at the time, and we, the brand that we have right now, it's, you know, it's fresh. It's, you know, it, it sort of conveys the, and uh, when I say brand, I just mean the visual, visual brand. Um, it sure. conveys the fact that we are a startup, that we are new, that we, you know, get things done, that we are polished, you know, it, it ticks all those boxes of polished startup, you know, fresh, etc. But it did come from what we thought we should be like and what we thought people are interested in, um, you know, when working with us. And now we're approaching the stage where we have a significant penetration of the UK market. We, are, we, we have, you know, big flagships in the US. We are a, a big. We, we raised our Series A, so we are, a, you know, a, we we're a different company that has to do things right on all the different parameters, and brand is one of them. So, the new approach to brand and new thinking about brand is well, how do people actually see us, and what do they want to see when? How do they look at everybody in the market, our competitors, and what do we mean in that in that landscape? And it's a process that will take some time and I doubt it will have any impact on our visual brand because in the B2B world, the colors don't really matter nearly as much as they do in the B2C world. In the B2C where emotions are you know, a big, much bigger drive and decision-making, 
you know, colors are super important. And your brand mascot, if you have that, because it can be a quirky but really effective thing to, to do. They, they can bring about significant success. In the B2B space, with a visual brand, as long as it's polished and it's fresh, it's fine. But what matters is how do you position yourself? How do you talk about yourself? How do you display it? How do you even convey your value propositions? There are so many ways to say the same thing. And only one of those, you know, one, only one of those sort of messages will actually deliver to the target audience that, you know, that, that, that you want to get through to. So that is the next stage for us is to really change the way we talk about ourselves and present ourselves. And the way we're going to conduct that exercise is probably, um, I, 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 I believe in, uh, well, I like to call it a sort of, we're data conscious, not data driven. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there is an obsession with marketers to be really, really data driven at the expense of other things that are very important in advertising. So we, we will do quality analysis, and, but it will be about, you know, really figuring out not what people say, but what people not even feel like people, what people feel. And um, that, that's, that's actually what we, what you want to get to, you know, because people don't, don't do what they say and then don't, they don't say what they feel. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So <laughs> um, well, that's the approach we're going to take probably over the next year is to really change, you know, that aspect of our brand. Excellent. And, uh, you know, so in your position, when you w- are working with a brand every day, um, obviously you, you basically lead them, breathe and, 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 and think that uh, brand and that business. So for that, um, are you looking to working with external partners? Yeah, so, and it's a good question. So for the visual brand, we did work with this um, design agency and we still have that relationship ongoing. They do help us with new things so that it's all in the same, you know, it has the same feel to it, all right? Um, but we do have PR agencies in, in the US that are very important in reading the policy space. Maybe education is unique. It has a, a, a substantial policy aspect to it. It has a community aspect to it. So the policy side of it and how, uh, how, how do we fit into the general trans policy trends that happen in that space? That's what the PI agency is working on. Uh, and I, that, that by no means is that a definition of brand because there are other aspects to it. And we have considered a brand agency and maybe we will change our mind. And to be fair, it's an ongoing conversation. I am leaning towards the idea that a brand agency unless it has worked with education and really gets education. And I, I can't stress it enough. Education is unique. And the things that I talk about with regards to education won't apply to probably the majority of industries. Unless the brand agency gets education, I don't think there will be much value in that relationship. But again, I am, I am more than willing to be proven, proven wrong. Uh, I, 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 we do have a good sense of where we can take the brand next and the way i'm currently conceptualizing it is in terms of the micro brand strategy so how are we engaging the community and really leveraging those informal networks that exist in education and then the macro brand strategy which is you know how are we engaging in the policy space how we you know uh, where do we stand with regards to the different trends and you know the the macro stuff so uh, and Maybe I'm missing something, and again, it's an ongoing process. But right now, I don't see a brand agency fitting into that picture um, nicely. Sure. I mean, um, definitely, I think you know, with your industry, it's a it's a very sort of unique uh, space. So that knowledge and understanding is probably very very key. But um, I think you know, in terms of branding, positioning, and strategy, because that's mainly what you guys, sounds like what you guys are looking at. Um, obviously, it's something that's just 
ongoing and you refine it as you go, as you grow the company. So I think definitely having someone, even a consultant from an external perspective, just to ask some questions, maybe mm. a question you wouldn't think about yourself is definitely very, very valuable. And, you know, I love the approach that you guys have, which is, you know, it's, it's not just a project that's going to be done in two weeks. It's an ongoing process and process being the key word. I think it just speaks to the fact that you are, you guys are very much growth driven. So yeah, it's very, very interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to, to see what you guys come up with in a few months. <laughs> definitely. So, all right, then I think, you know, you guys are definitely on track, I think with, with developing your brand and a variety of different channels in which to leverage growth and scale your company. So, you know, what, what is on the roadmap for you guys, um, you know, moving forward? Where are you trying to take um, Biblio next, essentially, from, from not just a, a growth perspective, but also maybe like product as well? Um, yeah, how does that look like? Yeah, that is an interesting question. And so the short answer to it is that we want to be the go-to provider for any text content uh, in higher education yeah that is the, that is the the end goal for the next sort of one two three years mm -hmm. further down the line i think there are interesting things that we can do as a company when it comes to teaching so not, not necessarily learning but more more on the teaching side of how and maybe there is an an, an aspect of our product development or in growing into a learning management system not just the content provider so mm -hmm. it encompasses a wider range of things, but that is very much conceptual and, you know, something that, um, you know, we, we don't necessarily think about because there is a real problem, which is digital content that is not very solved. It's not well, it's not solved right now in the way mm -hmm. it's supposed to be. And I think it will take some time in education to really, you know, um, solve it. So the go to being the go to provider for content is definitely the big objective. And then there are many ways of getting like doing that. And in the U way we do that in the UK is very different to the way we do it in the US. So in the UK, the interesting thing is that the market is very much driven by the librarians and they are keen to be offering, you know, textbooks to their students, but they have the caveat of, all right, we don't have a you know, big enough budget. So there has to be a very cost-effective solution in, mm. in place that really respects that. And it's hard to get that in place considering that publishers are keen to be to keep charging their high prices. So I think there are very interesting licensing sort of things that we can introduce into the sector to really fix that. Mm -hmm. And that that is the big sort of play in the, in the next one to two years is to deliver a, a licensing model that really works both for publishers and the librarians. Um, and, and in the US, the, the, the story is just starting in a way. It's yeah. such a huge market and we, we have a way in. And uh, I think it would be interesting to see how we capture the rest of the US market. And I, I mean, I don't even think I should be disclosing our strategies on that end, but the goal is no to problem. have a have a significant penetration there. Um, and then, you know, the, pro the product will evolve um, to really solve problems and this is actually the one key i think i can say is unlike any other company in, in education at the very least the product is evolving very very quickly and mm -hmm. we have been disrupting on many levels of you know first we brought about one business model then quickly we changed it and brought about a different business model and every single time it's a response to the 
real customer problem. So yeah. that is the approach that we take. We customize the product very as the market evolves and changes and the problems change. We we customize our product product to address that. So the product that is this right now, although the core product, what it looks like, will remain the same. Because you know it's a reading platform, a learning platform for students. But the, well, what happens on the background, what the institution really cares about, that will keep on changing uh, until we have. I mean, will we ever have a model that everybody's happy with? I don't know, but it, it will definitely keep evolving until we reach that point where everybody says, okay, digital textbooks really do work for everybody now. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's a big, a big goal to have. And, you know, it sounds like you guys are well on your way to, to getting there, especially, you know, launching that into or actually taking on the U S market as well. That's uh, always a very ambitious task. Um, but it's, it's yeah. certainly something that's possible. Um, especially from the UK, we've seen it happen a few times. So it's, it's always really cool to see it when it happens. Um, all right, brilliant. So, you know, look, before we wrap up the, the show, um, you know, looking back over your journey, which sounds like it's been very extensive in terms of, you know, growing uh, BW from, from that growth marketing perspective, um, you know, what are some of the, the nuggets of information you could leave for the audience? Um, you know, bits of advice that you think that could really help someone along. Maybe they're in the position where, you know, they, they've got uh, an idea still and they want to turn it into a reality. Um, or maybe it's just like a, a head of marketer or, you know, a, a marketing exec that's just trying to um, fight, fight the battle in the trenches, so to speak. Yeah, uh, that is, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of like really growing things and, you know, I have businesses on the side that I'm always sort of working on and evolving. So it is a big passion, like starting things from ideation all the way to not just product market fit, but even beyond reaching decent targets that everybody's happy with. So there are definitely quite a few things that, you know, I can share. And so failing quickly is definitely a number one priority, you know, sure. and this applies both to business ideas as well as product ideas, as well as marketing ideas, everything. Just try and fail as quickly as you can, learn from your mistakes and move on. The next one is, and it's an interesting one for probably the marketers or the data-driven marketers out there is to, as I said before, be data conscious, not data-driven. And there can be an obsession with trying to get a, uh, statistically significant outcomes in the test that you run. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I respect the statistical analysis, but at the end of the day, marketing is all about human psychology. So the data that you get is, does not necessarily reflect the things that happen, happen in, in reality. So the way I use data is we, we, we run our tests, we look at the data and we're like, okay, well, what, 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 what intuitively can we get out of this? And then based on our intuition about, you know, about the data itself, we, you know, we make our decisions. So it's, you know, data conscious, not data driven. Then having a traction building methodology is, is another thing and it feeds into the fail quickly mentality but it gives you a structure in which to do your growth and marketing activities and there's a great book um, by gabriel weinberg called traction uh, which like the first two chapters um, explain his methodology that he used for duck, duck go uh, it's 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 a brilliant two chapters the rest of the book is not, not necessarily interesting but that methodology it's 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 a lifesaver for someone who's, who's starting a business from the ground up as well as a growth marketer that's working with a range of ideas so definitely recommend looking looking at that um i think the final thing i would say is around b2c and uh, i've sort of written about it quite a lot as well and it's it's and the comment is 
B2C is makes sense when you are passionate and you have a or you have a, a an idea or a, a solution that is going to revolutionize the way the sector or that you know that that um, instance of, of of a society operates. Um, and and you will see that a lot of the people who go and pursue those ideas that are you know are either passion driven or you know are really unique, they are not necessarily profit driven. And if you are profit driven and you do want to make money, B two B is is the safer choice. Uh, so I, I am very much I, I have a passion for many things, um, and I, I'm lucky that my passions align quite well with money making. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> that helps. But I, I yeah, it, it, like my passions are about growing businesses. So as a result, B two B model makes sense for me. Um, but even if I wasn't interested about business, but I was interested about something else, B two B will will is definitely the easier easier if if com- building companies can be easy it isn't but it's it's a safer choice than b2c b2c in with b2c you're in it for a long haul you know you're not going to be making a lot of money anytime soon uh, but if you're passionate about it then of course you should pursue it and change the world if you can so a huge thank you to biblio for speaking to us you can find them online at biblio.com that's b-i-b-l-i-u.com or follow them on social at biblio social You're listening to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal by Blue Drop Studio, a digital marketing and creative content agency based in London, UK. We're on a mission to grow the tech brands of tomorrow with creative content and social media advertising. Check us out on LinkedIn and bluedropstudio.com or hit us up on social at HeyBlueDrop on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Your hosts are at Anna Rowinska and at Omar K. Juman. If you want to talk about digital marketing for your brand, drop us a line at hello at bluedropstudio.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.